Welcome to Wild Spaces, coming to you from Denver, Colorado, where the Great Plains meet the Rocky Mountains, where we connect you to nature, real estate, and the adventurous professionals leading us to a better designed, healthier future. So grab your notebook, sketch pad, and put your feet in the grass as we become more wild together. On today's episode, we're joined by Mohammed Abbasi. Mohammed's background in architecture, sustainable design, and building science makes him an integral member of WSP's Built Ecology Group, for which he specializes in design assistance, lead and well coordination, energy and daylight modeling, and material consultancy. For the past six years, Mohammed's been honing his expertise in the area of health and wellness, specifically related to the built environment. Mohammed, great to have you on. Uh, hi, Matt. Uh, thank you for having me. I didn't go through your amazing list of credentials and acronyms after your name. Um, so why don't you start by just kind of going through your background, how you got into sustainability, and then just your, your certifications that you're a part of as well. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm an architect by train and I've practiced architecture for a couple of years, but because of my interest in sustainability and health and wellness, uh, I ended up in the world of sustainability. And I was started working in sustainability with working on like uh, daylight and energy simulation. And eventually uh, I became more interested in health and wellness and uh, built some expertise around that too, especially since I'm, I'm, I'm an architect and like when you get to health and wellness, there are so many uh, design related items too. So uh, related to my certification, uh, I mean, I passive house, I'm a certified passive house consultant, which is something that we are all, all of our, us as an architects, we are passionate about it as a kind of a leading certification uh, on energy. Uh, I'm a well faculty uh, and well AP. Uh, and also I'm a reset AP, which is a certification on air quality. So as, as an architect, how did you get into sustainability? Just curious a little bit more about that path of, you know, what I would assume is more of like a traditional architecture schooling into you now working in the built ecology group at WSP. Sure. Uh, I think as an architect, even when I think about uh, my bachelor, when even we didn't know about uh, kind of tools or like simulation or uh, these terms that we use these days, I always had a passion for uh, energy saving, connection to nature, bringing daylight to the space, uh, have connection to nature. I think even uh, when we go back to like uh, modern architecture, like architecture in early, uh, 20th century. I mean, we always seen these uh, stuff uh, or just this uh, passion in architects. Uh, uh, so I always had passion about like sustainability and health and wellness, but I can say that after my graduation from IIT, uh, I ended up working for a firm in Chicago, the DBHMS that uh, was really focusing on sustainability. And I over there, I had the chance of working with different teams, sustainability team, energy team, uh, envelope team to kind of uh, learn a little bit more about what's happening and like at that point I decided to kind of like change gear a little bit and just uh, become a sustainability consultant. That's great and so and what I like about you led beautifully into my next question um, mm -hmm. I love this term for your group built ecology I guess yes. as, as opposed to kind of sustainability consultant that you just said, which obviously is a lot of what you do. Um, but I'd love to hear more just about the origination of built ecology as this term that you guys have embraced 
And then you could talk just a little bit about what your what your group does as well specifically. Uh, sure. I think the the term built ecology is kind of represent our group really well because uh, I think we have different. I mean, every firm has a different structure for. Uh, doing sustainability. I mean, a lot of firms, they have like energy expert that or energy analysts that do energy analysis and sustainability consultant that do certification. Uh, in WSP, I think we recognize the fact that all of these are really integrated. And we also want to do go above and beyond uh, what is just required in energy code compliance or just get a lease certification. And uh, be more creative with what we do and have more integration in the design. So our team is consist of, even though we are an engineering firm, I mean, WSP is an engineering firm, uh, I would say 20, 30% of our team uh, uh, are architects and we have environmental scientists, we have a mechanical uh, designer, people coming from the engineering background. So we have this kind of diverse background of people in the group that is enabling us to engage in a project and uh, go beyond of simply doing a lead and energy uh, uh, certification and just like consult architects, get engaged in the integrative design process and try to make a real impact in the project. And I think, especially with, with these new trends on resiliency, on health and wellness, that foundation helped us to just kind of grow really fast and have a subject matter expertise on these new topics too. Yeah, you're starting to embrace just the holistic impacts that exactly. looking at some of these different features, like you said, specifically around health and wellness can have on the projects and the look and feel of them. And ultimately, you know, all of our comfort and health as well as the environment. So I think building on that, I think you work at this interesting synergy between high performance buildings biophilic design. Um, whereas I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that feel like this nature connected design is kind of rooted mm -hmm. in its place and has existed forever because that was how we all lived in close proximity to nature. I think there's, there's often a feeling that technology and high performance buildings are kind of an opposing goal, but it seems like you guys are, are really working to operate it at both ends of the spectrum. So I'm curious to hear from you how you how you see those synergies of kind of blending technology and nature connected design. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I'm one of uh, the people in our team that uh, works both on the certification side and the analytic side. Uh, and what I learned from kind of working on both sides is they're really connected. I mean, when we, we are talking about energy analysis, uh, it's really connected to the way that you're, uh, you're designing your building for daylight, or even when you're trying to kind of like bring a green wall to your space or just have a roof garden uh, and have a green roof. I mean, these are all heavily connected and like, especially with understanding of both sides, you can kind of talk uh, to them a little bit better. I mean, for example, when it comes to a green roof, uh, you can translate the benefit of that uh, to energy as well. Or for example, when you're talking about like bringing daylight to the space, you can, uh, if you do both daylight and energy simulation and you know the principles of health and wellness, you can kind of like talk about them in a holistic approach and say that with bringing daylight, we are saving energy, we are 
uh, uh, we are helping people for their proactivity, for their sleep rhythm, promote circadian light in the space. So, I mean, long story short, to me, these are all connected. And uh, I see more and more people from the energy analysis side trying to learn these principles from health and wellness because uh, it's not, when we are doing high performance design and we are doing energy analysis, we should be really cautious of the other aspect of it that is related to health and wellness, biophilic design and connect, connection to nature. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, in my, we were talking before and in, in my mind, there's, you know, there was a first round of sustainability, which was kind of an awareness of it that mm -hmm. had grown since, you know, out of the 60s and 70s, and then really came about in the 90s um, with LEED, really, and was focused on energy, energy performance reductions there. And then I think we moved, you know, in the 2000s into sustainability, kind of 2.0, for lack of a better term, that really was right. focused on human-centric design, on wellness, on health, uh, which is fantastic. And, and my hope and what I really feel like is we're moving into this third version of sustainability that embraces, you know, one, nature-connected design, um, but really these other, this overall design framework that focuses on restoring both people's connections to nature as well as the natural environment. And I think what's fascinating and what, what you were just describing, Mohammed, is, you know, there's these new technologies, design moves that work at, at work on that holistically, right? That they're, they're beneficial to yeah. us as people. They save energy. They make us more productive. They make us less stressed. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, love that there's people like you doing the work to kind of quantify that and put it out there that there are these, there are these aspects of buildings that can have such wide ranging benefits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you brought up a really good point, which is, uh, I think, uh, like, I mean, again, when I go back to the to the architects in the uh, modern area, I mean, right, La Corbusier, I mean, they all been really uh, kind of aware of the impact of nature, but uh, it was really in like in the last 20 years that we got the advantage of knowing the tools and uh, measuring the impact of uh, what architects been doing for a while. I mean, even if you go like, like way, before the modern architecture. I mean, that's always been a, a trend in architects to just connect the spaces to nature. I mean, uh, I'm from Iran. I mean, I, I was born knowing about the Persian garden. I mean, the connection to nature and how that is important as a principle in architecture. But uh, what happened in the past 20 years that I would say really changed the way that we approach is now we can measure that. I mean, now with the research that coming out, on uh, biophilia, I mean, we have a lot of studies like Tropin or like the other studies coming out from uh, Harvard uh, 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 School of Public Health mm -hmm. that telling us that this is the way to measure it. Uh, if you are providing a better ventilation or if you are providing a view to nature or like uh, if you are providing more daylight to the space, this is the actual impact. I think that was the moment that uh, it kind of changed our industry a lot because we've been doing that kind of measuring for energy for a long time, telling that if you provide this much more insulation, this would be the benefit. But now we have, we can measure the impact of all these design related 
uh, items mm. and like translate them to kind of like values that we can explain. Yeah. And I think one impact of that was, uh, I mean, as an architect, that was my passion. But when I started working, I figured that there is a business case to it that I have to be able to talk to to convince uh, the clients, the owner, that this is the benefit. I mean, if you're running an office with this much better daylight or uh, having like greenery or like indoor walls or these strategies or better daylight, you're also like getting a huge benefit on productivity of the people. But uh, I think the part that that was kind of like giving me a tool to just push for something that I really believe in and have passion on, which is like bringing nature to the space. I mean, it's uh, we all feel that. I mean, <laughs> it's like who doesn't want that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's uh, uh, that's something that uh, it was really great to have, and I think changed the industry a lot. Yeah. Are you finding more clients um, embracing this idea, kind of coming to you guys wanting some of these, you know, new versions of sustainability and nature-connected design and monitoring and things like that? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, definitely. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, and I, I can tell you, especially with the with the pandemic, uh, it, I mean, uh, I would say there was a uh, there was an increase or just a, a growth in the demand for just awareness for health and wellness. But especially in the last year, we had a jump in, I mean, simply client asking, "What can I do uh, to have a better office space?" Or when people comes back to the office, "What can I do to just help them for their mental health?" Uh, so definitely because of the pandemic and all the issues that comes with it around air quality or just like being trapped in these enclosed spaces, definitely there was a huge spike in uh, both demand and awareness around health and wellness in built environments because everyone knows this. I mean, we used to say that we are we used to live outside 100% of the time and it was only the last 100 years that we started to spend 90 Amazingly, in the last year, now we are spending 100% of our times indoor. <laughs> yeah, it's like complete reversal exactly, yeah. of what we were used to. Yeah. So I'm imagining, as you're saying, that with this focus on health and wellness and sustainability, you know, talk with us about the importance, as you see it, of certifications, monitoring, documentation in the green building movement. Uh, I think, first of all, having a framework is really important. Uh, and I think specifically uh, VEL and uh, uh, IWBI, which is the organization that runs that, did that for us. Uh, similar to LEED, that LEED, uh, the, the time that LEED started uh, like like around like 20 years ago, I mean, it was a really pioneer certification in sustainability and created a framework to follow. And even though that not all the buildings or not more than like 10% of the new construction ended up getting the lead certification, but it had a big role in transforming the market. And I think yeah, Vell is doing the same thing. I mean, Vell uh, had so many introduction around circadian lighting, uh, air quality, uh, biophilic design, and like uh, men the importance of mental health in the built environment. And I think uh, it's the one important thing is we need certification, one, in many cases, 
to have the business case because it's a certification that brings value to the project. But beyond that, I think, and what we all always tell to the clients that, I mean, we have this certification, it's a good framework, but you are not forced to do the certification to have a healthy building. So it's important to have a framework and it has a lot of value to the project and add a lot of value to the real estate. But beyond that, they, they had a big role of transforming the market and have an impact on all the projects happening and simply changing the standard and best practices around health and wellness. Today's episode is brought to you by the Wild Spaces Institute, your hub for connecting people to nature through commercial real estate and architecture. Discover how you can create real estate and designs that are valuable, awe-inspiring, and biophilic at wildspacesinstitute.org. There's such a movement towards transparency, right? That we really have entered this era of transparency for corporations, for businesses, for, you know, political donation, for everything you kind of go through and just look at with, you know, social media and the accessibility of information, the need for companies in particular to start to understand their material supplies, you know, their labor forces and be transparent. And I see what you're talking about now with you know, certifications, monitoring, documentation, the recertification requirements being in that same vein, right? Where it's, it's, you know, you don't, it's not a one and done, you know, your tenants, users, people live there, come to that hospital, send their kids to that school, want to really know that this is a space that is healthy and not just saying it's healthy. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, uh, talking about transparency, uh, we should give a big credit to LEED for starting the trend on uh, pushing all the manufacturer to uh, to have a certification on the materials that they are manufacturing. Like for instance, like HPD's health product declaration to tell us that, I mean, exactly like the food that we eat, that it comes with a label, like LEED has a sort of this like trend or movement to push the manufacturer to tell us what is in, the material that we are specifying the project. Does it come with PVC mm. or chromium-6 that is harmful for us uh, or not? And I think that uh, that documentation and the movement that leaders started, and now we see that in uh, like well and other certification, and I should mention Living Building mm. Challenge as definitely the leader on uh, yeah, definitely. Health ingredients. I think that transparency movement was uh, fantastic. I mean, now that, again, going back to the point of less than 10% uh, of the new constructions is still pursuing any sort of certification, but the impact of those requirements was that most of the uh, most of the manufacturers now in the U.S. market, at least, they they are forced to be competitive. They are. Uh, having certification for materials to tell us what's the what is what is in the ingredient and what is the impact of that on the environment like talking about different type of certification that talks about the environmental mm -hmm. impact and I think that was uh, that was a really good movement on transparency and knowing that what we are getting in our building yeah that was a big focus of your University of Chicago project, right? It was this focus, use of natural and healthy materials. Maybe you could explain to us a little bit more about how the natural and healthy materials impacted your work in that space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the University of Chicago uh, 
the Harris School of Public Policy. Uh, we have done the Living Building Challenge uh, pedal certification, and I was working on the material uh, pedal, which is really a stringent requirement of like uh, doing the vetting for every single material to make sure that there is no red list ingredient. And by red list, uh, there is a long list of the ingredients that are harmful for, for us. So LBC says that you have to go and do the vetting on your materials and make sure that there isn't any uh, uh, toxic in ingredients in your material. So that project was a really uh, pioneer project, at least in the Chicago market, and one of, was one of the, uh, the earliest projects to pursue LBC uh, in the area. And uh, we have done a lot of work from early steps. So the first step was, if you specify a natural material, you don't need to go down the path of like making sure that there is no uh there is no toxic ingredient in it and mm, that's yeah. one just there's like so much meaning there's so much meaning behind that statement right exactly i mean it's, if you have a stone or in this project there've been a lot of reused food uh, reused wood from an, uh, an artist in the south side that uh been implemented in the project so with just simply reusing the wood from uh, some abandoned buildings in the south side. One, uh, we saved a lot of materials. We had a we had a wood pattern and the wood texture in the project that is helping uh, is helping us for the the intent of biophilic design and promote the nature and the space. And also, we know that for sure that's a that's the natural material that comes with like zero uh, chemical in it. So, uh, I would say using any sort of natural material in the space is the shortcut to make sure that your space is healthy because you have the you have the pattern you have the texture that is helping is promoting the biophilic mm -hmm. design in the space and at the same time it's all natural there is no chemical in it yeah it helps the indoor air quality exactly i guess another material as you could think of it that could potentially help indoor air quality that we also focus a lot on is plants inside the space. And I know that's something that you study is the impact of indoor plants on air quality. I think, you know, we're focused a lot on the science as much as the beauty of these design decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious from you know, your modeling perspective, you know, what amount of plants are really needed to make a significant difference in indoor air quality? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question because uh, I'm, I live in a small studio in Chicago, but I have around uh, 20, 25 mid-sized to big-sized plants in my space. And I mean, especially during the pandemic, I was started to monitoring my air quality in the space. And I figured that that's not still enough. Uh, that hmm. with even these much plants, I still, uh, a lot of times, uh, the VOC, the, the, the total VOC in my space or particle matters goes up. Uh, so there are two parts about when we are talking about indoor plants. Uh, I mean, definitely that's that's a simple way or the easiest way to just bring nature to our space. But uh, if you want to really promote air quality and make sure that we are getting a significant impact from them, we should uh, we should use uh, green walls. I mean the the, the plants that we have in the space, different type of plants uh, have different impact. I mean, uh, there is a researcher in the University of Oregon that works on different, the impact of different type of plants on air quality. 
and uh, which one is better for which particle matters or which VOC. So uh, that's kind of a complicated uh, conversation. But what I found, which is a, an easy statement, a statement to make, is green walls, especially those that uh, comes with active system that recirculate air through the roots of the plant, they have a huge significant significant impact on the air quality and filtering the air in the space. And uh, Reset and Gensler they have done a lot of uh, studies on that to show that uh, again with having plants or typical green walls, you're helping your indoor air quality, but the significant impact of those plants comes into effect when you when you use uh, recirculated air through the the back of the green walls and like circulate air through the, the roots of the plants. Uh, okay. But it's a it's a fascinating conversation because especially during the pandemic, I mean, we are living in like residential spaces or office buildings that don't have HEPA filters like hospitals, but these kind of green wall, a simple green wall with an active system that circulate the air could be as effective as like HEPA filter if you design it well and just like help us a lot and that gets back to I think where the discussion started about the the importance of the technology the kind of high performance buildings with sustainability right that there is this overlap and they can be enhanced by each other just like you were describing um, so I think that's where I also you know love the work that you guys do around technology and thoughtful design because it can supplement some of these natural elements where they might not otherwise be available, right? Or they exist in close proximity to the site. For example, you know, daylighting, quality views. We were just talking about with, you know, filtration of the air. And I think more specifically breezes too. Exactly. I know you, is one that you talked about of just, you know, how do you help engineer mechanical systems air conditioning distribution to simulate natural airflow patterns and variation, like what we're used to when we're outdoors. Exactly, I mean, that is, uh, uh, so th that that's kind of like my area of interest that, I mean, on natural ventilation and uh, mimicking the airflow of the, the outdoor when we are designing indoor systems. And uh, one of the, the best examples on and that is the McDonald's Net Zero project that our MAP team designed uh, in uh, Orlando, and it's the first Net Zero restaurant that McDonald's has. And I mean, in that project, I worked closely with the architect to kind of identify what is the best way of designing natural ventilation in the space and how we can bring that to the HVAC system as well. And I think, I mean, talking about the technologies, one of the big changes in the, in the technologies that is pretty simple to use these days is we can simply uh, automate our systems to uh, use natural ventilation when the outdoor air quality is good and when we wanna bring natural ventilation in the space. Because talking about the airflow, the, the first and easiest path to uh, feel that the natural airflow is to bring uh, natural ventilation to the space. And in that project, we did that. And uh, we worked closely with our MEP team too, to kind of like simply set a control system that works well on that. And that's another area of the importance of uh, technology. And there are a couple of like really simple technology on natural ventilation that even 
we can use uh, for our spaces. I mean, in in my space, what I use, I just have a simple, uh, I just have a simple uh, control that tells me when to use the when to open up my windows, and that's kind of a technology that Well Certification is trying to promote to kind of mm -hmm. for residential buildings to give us a simple device that is connected to our smart building system to tell us what is the best time uh, in regard to uh, temperature, relative humidity, and outdoor air quality to open up our windows. Because a lot of yeah. times we don't know if I'm especially in Chicago, uh, uh, I have to check my phone to make sure the outdoor situation is good, but these technologies are gonna help us to use more natural ventilation. Yeah, I love that. It's it's just a local, easily accessible thing that exactly. most people could have. And you know, hopefully it becomes pretty ubiquitous where it's like you've got your, especially in an urban setting, as you were describing, you know, you live there and there's a little monitor and it's like, if it's green, air quality is good. Yeah. Open your windows and enjoy it. I think that that in itself makes such a difference, um, again, especially in an urban setting. Exactly. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, Mohammed, I'm curious where your affinity for the outdoors and, and nature came from. Uh, that's a really good question. And uh, a lot of times when I think about that, I feel, uh, so I lived in a really dense urban area, but uh, I'm coming from a dairy uh, a farmer family. I mean, my father, my grandfather uh, have been a dairy farmer uh, and farmer for sure. And I think uh, since I've spent most of my childhood in a farm uh, that's one of the reason and also uh, thinking about that a little bit more I do remember when I was a kid my grandfather had this kind of retirement project to plant 1000 trees and maintain them and uh, he was taking me all the time to help him and that inspired me a lot and uh, other than that I think in the college I've started since I, I've, I've joined this uh, mountain climbing club and uh, I learned a lot through that too. Like, I mean, a lot of my respect to nature and preserving our natural resources also comes from doing a lot of hiking, like mountain climbing uh, to, and like when you do that a lot, you kind of understand, you, you, you feel the connection with the nature and you build a respect uh, for uh for for natural resources so i think these i mean general these were my kind of like inspiring points mm -hmm. to kind of be That's more passionate point. about uh nature in general yeah beautifully said and i think that's that's a big part of my feeling and hope as well is that by connecting people to nature wherever they are in a small way we do foster that respect and we understand climate. We understand, like, like you said, how your air varies outside your space and inside your space from a daily perspective and why that is. Exactly. And all that makes you more aware of your environment and hopefully makes us all a little bit more ecologically minded, realizing that you know we're all connected and we're connected to the natural environment. So maybe as a, as a final question, love to hear just from your built ecology side, you know, when you look out into the future, what are your hopes of kind of most impactful moves or technologies or you know, design adjustments that 
you know, you look out in the future and you hope that projects would incorporate? Um, that's a tough question. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I have a, I mean, definitely when we are talking about the future, my biggest fear and hope is uh, if we start to fight climate change more seriously uh, to both kind of like preserve us as human being and our nature, because it's not only us that's going to hurt. I mean, our nature is already hurting on that. And that's where I see the connection between what we do on like climate change and carbon reduction versus like health and wellness. Uh, but uh, more specifically, I would say I'm really optimistic about the awareness on health and wellness and the mental health issues uh, caused by trapped in indoor spaces after the pandemic. And I see, uh, I see that awareness in not necessarily design industry. And I mean, everyone uh, knowing the importance of, I, I do have a lot of friends just that uh, simply bought more plants or uh, get a pet to kind of like have some connection to nature. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, and I hope when all these people go back to work, they see the importance of when we are talking about, I mean, there are so many barriers to bring nature to the space. I mean, in, uh, we have had a lot of projects saying that, oh no, with this building, uh, there are so many issues with bringing plants. I mean, we have to uh, do uh, a lot of like uh, pest ins inspection or mold inspection on those stuff. Uh, but I really hope that especially after the pandemic, people personally figured the point that we need to connect to nature. It's funny that like, I mean, part of my job is health and wellness. And just in the pandemic, honestly, just doing hiking and camping and outdoor life saved my mental health. I mean, I wouldn't be able to survive if I wasn't doing like at least twice a week hiking and once a week camping. And I see a lot of yeah, people are doing that too. Like a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I talked to some, you know, former architecture school colleagues who moved to Manhattan right out of school and have lived there ever since and that's what they were saying is you know catching up with them and they were like oh my gosh it's like for the first time in years we went and we rented a car and we drove like upstate in new york just to get out of the city um, mm -hmm. and i think you're you're i i totally agree with you and share the same sentiment that i hope that this is an awareness and i really do believe that this is an awareness that you know has been brought to the forefront and is here to stay yeah, exactly. I, I and I think this this is already happening. I mean, it's uh, I mean, especially these days, is much easier to talk about the importance the importance of natural ventilation because people are hearing that in the news. And like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really optimistic about uh, just less barrier or less difficulties to just promote uh, the connection to nature. And. Yeah, Great. the other area of that is like outdoor spaces became way more important. And that was something that we've been pushing for that for a long time, saying that let's do uh, outdoor comfort analysis, make sure that the outdoor space is, uh, is comfortable enough and do some shading analysis for that. And, uh, but it's much easier to do that these days because everyone is asking for it, even without us pushing for it. Yeah, everybody wants it. Yeah. 
And then to your point, you know, how do we design those spaces well? It's not just like a an add-on that's there, you know, as a check-the-box thing. It's thoughtful analysis of shade and, you know, in, in our two climates, you know, where does snow and ice build up and, you know, really thinking about them to make sure they're good quality spaces. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, Mohammed's once again, was interviewing Mohammed Abbasi, who works in WSP's Built Ecology Group. So, Mohammed, thank you for the time. Sure. Thank you, Matt. It was nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Wild Spaces podcast. This is your host, Matt Dungan, saying I hope you're feeling a little more wild and inspired. Continue your journey to connect people with nature through design at wildspacesinstitute.org. And subscribe to the Wild Spaces podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.